The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. This is not a buy, sell or hold recommendation for any particular security. With me is Hannes Vandenberg. Hannes is head of SA Equity and Multi-Asset at 91 in Cape Town. Hannes, welcome. We haven't spoken for a while and I want to read something to you and I would invite your comment on this tweet that I got uh, about two weeks ago. It says here, 91, which has about 3 trillion in assets under management, is boosting offshore equity exposure in some of its flagship funds as SA's stagnant economy reduces the appeal of local equities despite their attractive valuation. While the Cape Town headquartered fund manager is allocating more capital offshore, it is channeling much of that to emerging markets in Asia as it bets the region will benefit from a consumer-led recovery in China, which has abandoned its zero-COVID policy. Is that true, number one? Second part of the question, how big an asset allocation decision was that to make for you at 91? Yes, nice to talk to you again, Lindsay. That's right. That is accurate. A few points that I can just mention and we can delve into them. We call it the fight for capital. Um, Now that Regulation 28 allows us to go up to 45% into global assets, where previously we could only go 30% into global assets, the, the universe is wider and therefore... The SA bottom-up investment opportunities, whether it be equities or bonds or or commodities, are fighting for capital relative to the bigger global universe. And then if you look at sort of the environment in South Africa, the growth environment struggling, load shedding, transnet struggling from a logistical perspective, consumers under pressure because of much higher food and fuel and interest rates. So the consumer is really, really struggling. So when you look at the areas to allocate capital into South Africa, we would agree that a lot of these areas look very attractively valued and valuations look interesting, but there are reasons why those valuations are looking so interesting from a fundamental perspective. And then on a global scale, everybody's looking at high interest rates in the Federal Reserve and this well-flagged recession that everybody's expecting to play out because of the much higher interest rates globally and a slowdown in the U.S., On the other side, the Chinese reopening post-COVID lockdowns have provided a big tailwind for emerging markets. And as you mentioned, Asia, ex-Japan, which includes China, the Chinese consumer coming out of lockdown, traveling again. We see a lot of uh, spending on services uh, and there are investment opportunities which we feel needs capital allocation for us to get better returns for our clients. Obviously, you can't switch off from South African equities. It's a long process. But is this a process that you sat down with your team at 91 in Cape Town and said, OK, we've got to do this gradually? And it's not your position to talk about short-term currency movements or, you know, Chinese inflation, which is, is fairly benign given recent figures. The fact is that the RAND has been in a bear market now for, gosh... A couple of years. It's currently, uh, as we speak, around 19 to the US dollar. And you're not doing this asset reallocation because of the RAND, but it um, it certainly helps your cause, doesn't it? Yeah, the sort of short-term weakness in the RAND, which took it from 18 to 19, is a bit of concern around the grid and the stability of the grid in South Africa. And I think there are various other players who are doing a bit of the same trade in, in getting greater offshore access. It's not so much a call on the RAND. If you look at the weakness we've seen in the dollar year to date, mm. you would have expected the RAND to actually be stronger and emerging market currencies to benefit from that. It's more driven, I mean, as a team, we are first and foremost earnings focused. So we like companies with better earnings expectations or improving earnings expectations, upgrades coming through to the fundamentals and the earnings of stocks. And if you look in the South African market, you can invest in resource stocks, which gives you exposure to China and 
supply demand dynamics in each of those commodities. You can invest in the global rand edge stocks, and some of them, the likes of Richmond, uh, have benefited quite a lot from the Chinese reopening trade. So that makes a good investment case. Um, we've also allocated to Bitcorp, which is a food services business. So your tourism and your restaurant industries, etc., also benefit from that. So yes. There are opportunities in the resources space as well. The gold stocks have done phenomenally well given where the gold prices. There are big upgrades to their earnings expectations. But then on the SA Inc. side, you know, when the retailers start talking about supply chains becoming unstable when you go from stage six load shedding to stage eight and stage ten, and we've still got winter in front of us, mm. um, the costs that they have to incur to diesel costs to keep keep their systems running, and as I've mentioned, the consumers are starting to feel the pain. So you see volumes slowing down, lifelike volumes going negative for some of the retailers and the companies in South Africa. We are concerned about impairments and credit loss ratios. Even though our banks are very well provided and stable, we don't have the same global problems. You have to expect a bit of a slowdown in the earnings expectations for some of those SA Inc. stocks. And it's in that sector where you then, once you start realizing or going into cash, you have to ask yourself, what are the alternatives and opportunities that I can access on a global scale? Okay, let's talk about the Asia region, uh, which, as I said in my introduction, allocating more capital offshore, channeling much of that to emerging markets in Asia. Are you seeing upgrades in Asian companies? Because I know that the earnings upgrade pillar of your inflation equation is very prominent. Yeah, so what you want at the moment, Lindsay, given the recessionary concerns on a global scale, is you want your higher quality, more defensive companies that you're pretty sure is going to deliver their earnings growth profile. And on a global scale, the Chinese stocks and Asian stocks have been hit quite hard because of regulatory concerns last year in China, because of lockdown, slow growth, the government being on the cautious side. So from a cyclical perspective, you're starting to see an upswing in some of those earnings growth profiles of some of those Asian stocks, especially those that are linked to to the Asian and Chinese consumer. I mean, we've found companies that are in the financial services industry, so a company by the name of East Money, which is a, essentially a brokerage and a financial services business, which is directly linked to the Chinese and Asian consumer. Bank Rakyat is an Indonesian bank. We call it the Capitec of Indonesia. It's got fantastic branches and network in Indonesia, and it's growing its earnings at a phenomenal pace. Boise Deng is a company that you know, manufactures these down jackets. It's linked to the clothing market in the, on the Chinese side. I mentioned Richmond and some of the luxury goods companies that give us exposure. Wuxi Lead is a company that plays in solar energy and, and batteries in the Asian market. So we're finding these opportunities, you know, leveraging off the research we do on a global scale and work that goes into our global products. We've also got Asian funds. Um, and from those ideas that get generated and put into those funds, we bring some of those ideas into our funds on the offshore side. So the earnings growth and the price you pay for it in Asia just stacks up very, very attractive. Relative to, say, for example, the U.S., where there are concerns about earnings expectations and growth expectations being too high, and you're paying 18 times forward PE for what you buy in the U.S. relative to a 10, 11 times forward PE in Asia. It just makes so much sense. It's so interesting because it's a, a globalized uh, world. I mean, a lot of people are anti-globalization. But from what you're saying is that the U.S. is starting to slow down, and there is evidence of that, you know, jobless claims getting higher, GDP growth under a little bit of pressure. I think the last print was 1.1% in the last quarter. And yet, suddenly we're seeing lower Chinese inflation and higher growth and therefore they will be a more accommodative with their interest rate policy for example one would imagine so two different regions two giant economic blocks going in different directions yes absolutely so Lindsay the Chinese economy is in a position where inflation is not a concern 
relative to the sticky inflation we're seeing in, in, in other parts of the world and central banks such as the Fed and the ECB who continuously have to adjust interest rates. Having said that, I do think the Fed has probably reached the pause and wait data dependent kind of phase of their hiking cycle, but that hiked by 500 basis points. So surely the impact of that because of lagging effects is still to come through in the economy. And on the Chinese side, they haven't had to stimulate a lot because there's this uh, consumer growth that's coming through and support from consumers. They haven't even started with any infrastructure or property or investment stimulus from their side because they don't need to. And as you say, they can keep their monetary policy quite accommodative because they're not struggling from the inflation perspective. Having said that, what does concern us on the Chinese side and what we need to be aware of is if the rest of the world slows down, then surely exports and uh, sort of, as you spoke about globalization and deglobalization, there might be an indirect impact of that on the Chinese story. So we're going into this with our eyes wide open. Yeah. Are you confident, Hannah? So you're obviously, as a South African and a proud South African, you're obviously a little bit disappointed with the way that the economy and also the local stocks on the JSC Securities Exchange in certain patches. You're obviously concerned about how they're both performing, but uh, given your strategy that we've outlined in the last few minutes, are you confident? Yes, I think that the remainder of the year is going to be volatile, Lindsay, on a global scale. I mean, we haven't even discussed the debt ceiling and the politics around that and uncertainty that brings. Does the Fed feel they have inflation under control and they can pause? The market's expecting the Federal Reserve to cut interest rates between now and the end of the year. We think the probability of that is quite low. If they do cut, it will be because we've hit a recession and there will be kind of volatility in the market. So we think the next six months will be up, down, volatile. But going into 2024, you know, if things do get worse and we can talk about South Africa, then people will wake up and they'll realize the world's still spinning, the sun still comes up and there are investment opportunities for the medium and long term. On South Africa, we're not enjoying, it's not lacquer to see how things are playing out in South Africa. Um, I mean, load shedding to sit with 9, 10, 11 hours a day without electricity. Out of the 140 odd days we've had this year, we've had load shedding for about 120 and a bit days of the year. So nobody's enjoying that. So the mood in South Africa is, you know, we always make a plan in South Africa and sort of the African culture of making it work. But I think people are starting to feel it and the mood is starting to show that. And our bond market and our currency is reflecting that, unfortunately. Well, let's hope that the sun starts to shine and not in reality, but uh, metaphorically in South Africa very soon. Thank you very much for your analysis, Hannes. That's Hannes van den Berg, who's head of SA Equity and Multi-Asset at 91 in Cape Town. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views of this podcast are those of contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider.